Well, if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. We're actually coming kind of the end of it. Chapter 5, we're going to look at the first part of it this week, and the last part of it next week, and then we're going to be done with Peter. I've got people saying, well, where are we going to go next? I don't know. Uh, you know, we head into summer, so it makes it a little bit difficult on doing a series because with people vacationing and things like that, it makes it a little bit tougher. But uh, um, I'm toying with looking at the book of Jeremiah, and I'm sure not many of you have read or studied the book of Jeremiah. So uh, it would be, it's one I haven't preached on here. So it, it kind of kind of where I'm thinking about heading now, but not sure we'll know more in a month. Um, this morning, we're finishing up First Peter, uh, the first part of it. So Peter, in this book, is starting to wind things down. Let's remember, he is talking to a group of people who very honestly are fearing for their life. As they sit there and they call themselves Christians, each one of them is just waiting for a knock of the door to go, hey, are there any Christians that live here? And if they say yes, there's a good chance that they are going to be imprisoned or maybe even thrown into the arena and lose their life because the simple fact they called themselves a Christian. So there is a lot of fear. Nero is the guy who has just finished his reign when Peter writes this book. And, if you, and Nero has basically blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. So there, the fear is real. The concern for their life is genuine. And Peter writes this book to try to encourage them and to help them as they try to live life under those kinds of situations. So with that in mind, 1 Peter chapter 5, here's what it says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a quote from Proverbs, or from the Old Testament. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's almighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So, he addresses three groups. The leaders, young people, and then everyone. So let's break it down as we go into it. Notice what he says right off the bat. To the elders among you. Uh, there's not a definite article in here, so he's talking basically to leadership as a whole. And he says, I appeal as a fellow elder. It's interesting. Peter does not say, I appeal to you as an apostle. He says, look, I get that you have to lead this church and this group of believers. So on that basis, I'm saying, I appeal to you. Notice what he says, a witness of Christ's sufferings. Witness is an interesting word. We get our English word martyr from it. So it's interesting that he would use that terminology. But notice what he says, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Remember, Peter was there at the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was there in the courtyard. Peter watched him go through an unfair trial. Peter had seen Christ suffer. But notice what he also goes on to say. And one also who will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Peter had also seen the glory of Christ. He had seen the resurrected Christ, remember? And Peter was there at the Mount of Transfiguration when he got a glimpse of the glory of Christ. And what Peter's saying here is, look, guys, I've watched real genuine suffering. I've watched somebody lose their life because they were a Christian, because they were Christ. But I've also seen how God honored and glorified that too because I saw a resurrected Christ as well. And he says, I appeal to you leaders... I get it. And notice what he goes on to say. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Think about Peter for a minute. What was the last thing Jesus said to Peter? You remember? What? Do you love me? And then what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Remember the story? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Remember that? That's the last discussion Peter has with Jesus. And so Peter now, who has done that, now comes to a group of leaders, church leaders, and he says, hey, feed the sheep. Shepherd them. That's your job. And notice what he tells them. He tells them how to do it. He said, not because you must. Don't do it out of necessity. But because you are willing. Don't do it because you are greedy for money. Do it because God wants you to leave. And don't do it out of, he's going to get into this in a minute, but eager to serve. Do it, do it with a servant's heart. He says, that's the kind of leader God wants you to be. Now, I understand in context this is applying to the leadership of a church, but there's a bigger picture here. And the bigger picture is this is how all of us should lead. This is how all of us should parent. This is how all of us should have be a supervisor at work or be um, a leader in a group in the community. He said, this is how you do it. And notice what he goes on to say. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You do. Not just tell people. Moms and dads, you don't tell your kids not to be selfish. You demonstrate it to them. They have to see you giving to others. They have to see you serving others. Um, and, and so what he goes on to say, he said, and when the chief shepherd appears, again, talking about Jesus, but in the, Old, in the New Testament, Christ is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. Here he is the chief shepherd. And he says, as the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a clown of glory that will never fade away. So he challenges the leadership first. He says, all right, be the kind of leaders you need to be. Do it with a, with a pure heart. Serve. Do those kinds of things. Now he addresses young men or young people. In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you. Now he's going to shift it to talk to everybody. But notice what he says about young people. What does he say? Be submissive to those who are over you. He's talking about honoring older people. Now, in this culture, you need to understand that often in church, they sat by age. So two things, men, often men and women were separate, and then they sat often by age. So the younger people would sit together, with, and the older people, and they would sit. Kind of, the Essenes were, did this in particular, but in their world, they, they sat really by age, and so there was this, issue of, of how they set things up. 
And he says to the young men, to the younger people, listen, you need to show respect and honor and deference to the older people. And he goes on then to address everybody. He said, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Now, is humility a good thing or a bad thing? Help me out. Good or bad? Not if you are a Greek living or a Roman living at this time. In fact, Christianity is really one, the one that comes in and makes this a big thing. If you are, when this is written, humility is not a thing anybody wants to desire to. In fact, it was despised. Think about it for a minute. The Greek world at the time was about the perfect man. The Olympics came out of this kind of th- this this thing. The Olympics and, and and the perfect man. And if you've ever studied literature or art or or those kinds of things during this time, it was all about the man being in perfect form, physically, mentally, mentally, uh, spiritually, emotionally. It was all about the perfect man. The perfect man was proud. He was not humble. In fact, here's some here's some things that were said at the time. It says this. Um, in Greek literature, the adjective, and I'm just, I, you don't need the Greek word, lowly, was used exclusively in a, deri- in a derisive way, most commonly of a slave. It described what was considered base, common, unfit, and had little value. Another writer says it this way, John Wesley observed that neither the Romans nor the Greek had a word for humility. The very concept was so foreign and abhorrent to their way of thinking. And Peter is saying what to Christians? Be humble. You be humble. And he's saying that in a world in which the whole world is going a completely different direction. Because, again, they're hauling you off to die in the arena. And what's Peter saying? Be humble. Be humble. Because God opposes the proud. And then he goes on and he gives that famous verse that most of us know, casting all your care or anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, Listen to these verses. Uh, Flip over that next one and then we'll go back to this, Cole. Uh, Christ taught, therefore I say, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Life is more than meat. And the body more than raiment. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, your father knows that you have need of all those things. Look, you're watching green stuff pop up right now. You understand that that's God at work? God's taking care of those plants all winter. Um, Even the weeds will come up. He didn't do anything for those. Notice what he goes on to say. Cast thy burden, or in Psalm, he said, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He won't suffer the righteous to be moved. Peter's playing off of these two concepts. He had heard Christ teach this. He knew this from uh, from his Jewish background. And he says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Here's what's interesting. The word has the concept. When you and I say that verse, how do we say it? You quote it for me the way you normally quote it. Casting all your singular or plural? Plural. But the idea is 
It's a one-time deal. It's a one-time thing where I do it once and then move on. But we get the idea that we continually cast and continually cast and continually cast. We'll get into all that in a second. But he says, casting all your care or anxiety is how the NIV says it. Here's what anxiety means. It's the idea of being drawn in a different direction, being pulled away from something that you were supposed to focus on. And what happens is little cares start to come into your life and take over and take over, and and what happens is you keep focusing on them, and it robs you of confidence and assurance. And before you know it, that becomes your whole focus. And he says this, why do you cast all your care upon him? Why does Peter say you cast all your care upon him? He cares for you. Are you ready for this? You don't believe that. Do you understand that when I worry about it, that when I focus on it, you know what I'm really saying? I'm either saying God doesn't care, it's not a big enough deal for God, or, you know what I'm saying? I can handle it better than God. Oh, I would never say that. Then why do you keep focusing on it? Why do you keep letting it pull pull you away in your life? Why do you allow it to have that control over you? Because peace, now again, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are waiting for a knock at the door. How would you live your life this week if you knew that at any moment a knock at the door could mean you were going to die within 30 or 45 minutes? And what does he say? Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. That, that has some, some, some meaning now in the world of these people. So that's the passage. Now let's talk about what we can learn from it. First thing, to leaders. Um, some of you are leaders in community. Some of you are leaders at work. Some of you are leaders here. Some of you are leaders in your job, um, in your supervisor. Um, some of you have roles in which you have leadership. Look, here's, what, here's basically what Peter's going to say to you. Do it willingly. Do it with a heart of how can I serve. Don't lord your position over anybody. You need to be basically a, a, we look at it, we call it servant leadership. It's what Jesus did. He was God. He could have come and claimed all of that, but he doesn't. He comes to serve. And as the New Testament says, to give his life a ransom. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And that's our role each week as we walk out of here, is to go and find somebody. That's why we said, yeah, take those flowers and minister to somebody with them this week. That's what we're talking about. Be an encouragement to somebody. Could you take them yourself and plant them at your house and they be nice? Yes. Is that what we want you to do? No. Okay. We, we, we want you to use it to be a blessing to somebody else. That's it. You know, and some of you are really fortunate because it's like your parents are here, so you can go, and they're older, and you can go, hey, I'm going to minister to my parents this week. And it's still like a win-win. But some of you, you know what I mean? It, it's one of those things where you can bring joy into somebody's life this week. It's not about you. It's about them. That's what leadership is. Second thing is he talks about the idea of kids in particular. Young people learning to respect and listen to older people. Now, um, 
I need a kid up here, and then I'm going to need a bunch of kids up here to help me out. So first, let's start with the first one. Do I have anybody in here that's like 15? 13. Huh? 13. 13. All right, come on up, Ryan. This will work good. So we're good. Okay, Ryan, stand right here. Okay? All right. So stand right there. Stand right there. Dee, 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 dee. Good. No, you can look at them. Okay? Can help me out now. How old are you? 13. I need 13 kids up here. Come on. You don't have to do anything. I'm not going to embarrass you. Don't worry about it. I just need 13. Once I get 13, I'm done. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I need five more. You guys just stand right here. Just stand right here. One, two. Okay. Close. Okay. No, no. Just look out there. Just, I, I got you. You got, oh, you guys got to get way away from Ryan. No, Ryan's bad. Stay over here. You go over there. Okay, so how many I got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I need two more. I got two more kids in here? Two more kids? Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, you can help me out. Right, come on. Okay. You don't have to do anything. I won't embarrass you. I promise you. Come here, come here, come here. Just stand right here. Come on up here. Okay. All right. Good. Now, I got 13 kids, right? Count them. You should be in advanced math now. You got 13 there? And you're 13, right? Okay. Um, how old are you, Ted? Oh, well. <laughs> I'm one year older than Leo. How old are you, Leo? 63. 63. Okay. All right. Hang on a second. Just 60. <laughs> Juanita, how old is he? Huh? How old is Ted? 64. Okay. All right. So hang on a second. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63. Close enough. All right. Close enough. Close enough. All right. Here's what he's saying. This is what Peter's saying. There is roughly, let every one of these people represent one year. Okay? Let all of these people represent one year. When you go to make a decision in your life, there is 13 years worth of experience right here. This is the amount of experience all of your friends have. 12, 13, 14 years old. This is their whole world right here. This right here is the world of experience of your dad. Which, if you do the math, ballpark, is almost, am I close, five times, four, a little over four to five times the amount of that. Here's what he's saying. You know what most kids your age do when they have to make a decision? What do my friends think I should do? That's the, that, that is one of the dumbest things you can do. Because here's why. Here's why. This is 13 years worth of life versus 64 years worth of life experience. Four, at least four times your lifetime. Four of your lifetimes is represented right here. I'm not saying he's always going to get it right, but I can guarantee you this. There's a whole lot better chance he's going to get it right here than over there. 
And what Peter is saying is, kids, listen to me, all of you. You're going to be faced with the challenge of listening to your friends or listening to experience of adults. And what Peter says is, you be really careful. You honor, you give deference, you listen to these people, you respect and honor these people. You know why? Because they probably know a whole lot more than you think they know. Because you know why? Your friends look at 13 years worth of experience and go, this is what I think you should do. They've never been 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 25, 30, 35, 40. These people over here, they have. So they're not looking at 13. They're looking at 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. And what your decision at 13 has on this impact. They're not out to ruin your life. Believe me, they were out to ruin your life, they'd do a whole lot better job. Because you would have no privileges at all. And I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to all kids this way. You've got to understand this. Okay? By the way, adults, we need to understand it as well. Each one of us need mentors in our life of people who are older than us, who have already been down the road that we are heading down, that we can get wisdom and insight and lessons from them for. Okay, you guys can go back. Thanks. You made my point. Okay? All right? That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, honor, respect, listen to that. So kids, you can save yourself a lot of heartache. But when mom and dad say, don't do this, you go, I probably shouldn't do it, even though I want to. You know why? Because there's a whole lot more life experience there than there is with your friends. Right? All right, next lesson is this. He goes on. Uh, go back to that First Peter 5 deal. Um, notice what he says, casting all your anxiety on him that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, some of you know what this is. If you've never fished with one of these, you have never fished. Here's what you use. So this is, actually, this is a fancy cane pole. You know why? Because it actually has a little loop there to tie your fishing line onto. But when my kids were little, they couldn't cast and anything else, so we fished with one of these. Here's the way this works. You tie a string onto it, a bobber, a hook, and you go like this, and it plops in the water, and when the bobber goes under, you go whoop like that, and you got the fish. Okay, that's the way it worked. Really simple. Okay? But here's the idea. If the fish are right here, this is great. But what if the fish are way back there? See, then what do I do? I have to have a different setup. I have to have something different. But this, was, this is like the most awesome pointer in the world. If I was a teacher now, I think I would use this in a classroom. Hey, you right there. Uh, <laughs> you can't. You could. When I, was, when I was growing up, you could do that. Nowadays, the child abuse and all kinds of things. But anyway, uh, so here's the idea. You don't do much casting with this, do you? You might throw it out a little bit farther, but you're only going to get so far. Now this, and guys, don't mock me. Yes, I know, there are all kinds of better reels. I've tried them all. I hate them all. This is what I like, okay? I, I, I've done the bait casting, the, spin, uh, the, 
the, the spool thing. I've tried all of those things. And I, come, and I have all those. And I have some really nice ones. And this is what I use. Okay? Now, here's the way it works. Those of you who are fishing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You push the little button. You got the little hook on there. And you throw it. Most of the time in fishing, your goal is to do what? Throw it as far as you can and try to bring the lure back where the fish is, right? Most of the time. I mean, I get if you're doing bank fishing, you want to bounce it off the bank and walk it into water. And, and if you're doing hula poppers, you want to run it across. the. I get all that. But the general concept is this. What do I do? I'm casting it as far as I can, right? That's the general concept. When I grew up, I lived in the city. We didn't get to go fishing a lot, but we practiced a lot. So anybody remember casting plugs? It's a little plug you put on the end of this, and your whole practice was, we all kids in the neighborhood, we'd all bring our fishing rods, and we would see who could throw the plug the farthest. We did that for a long time, then we got bored, and we found that there were some big high power lines. <laughs> so the next task was to see if you could throw it up over the power lines and then work it and so that you could get it to flip off the power line. Those of you who have fished with me, you are amazed at how I can get lures out of trees. I learned it as a child on power lines. Anyway, what, what would happen is, and it was funny because eventually the adults all caught on in the neighborhood because when you drive down, there were like 15 plugs hanging up on the power line. So they kind of banned that from us. But anyway, that's what we used to do for fun. But the idea was what? You were casting it as far as you could. Casting all of your care on him. You know what that means? That means... I'm throwing that issue as far as I can away from my life. I'm not doing this nice and close. I've got this puppy out, and I'm taking whatever that worry, frustration, care, whatever that thing that is that's consuming my life that's pulling me away, and I am tossing that baby as far as I can toss it. I'm casting it. You get that? Let me tell you how most of us live our lives. Here's what most of us do. Ah! It's like being in a boat. Here's what most of us do. Whatever it is that you're all worried and frustrated about this morning, let this piece of paper represent it. you got something. You walked in here. It's heavy on your heart. It might be a medical thing. It might be a family thing. It might be a work thing. It might be a money thing. Whatever it is. And you quote this verse. Casting all my care upon you. God, I'm going to let you take care of it, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to trust you with it. And <laughs> Yes. I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to throw it away, and it's your problem. And you, a lot of you are really good at doing that. And then you know what you do? Okay, God. I really, God, I'm casting and depending you to take care of it all, Lord. I know you'll work. Come on, God. Come on. Come on, God. God, you know, it's like Tuesday, and I did this early this morning, and you haven't solved it. And my financial problem is, and, and, and you, you sit there and you watch it. And then God doesn't do what you want him to do in the amount of time that you have given him to do it. So then you know what you do? You go, you know, God, I, I don't know if you're aware, God, but just to remind you, God, and then I 
what that happens is that you take it out again and you go, God, um, look, you know, I'm going to, here, I'm, God, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to try a couple of things and see if I can handle this. And then that doesn't work, so we go, okay, God, it's yours again. And then here's what we do. I don't understand why when I cast all my care upon him, I can't have peace. Really? There's a reason that in the language, this is a one-time deal. You cast all of your care upon him, and you get it as far away from your life as you can. Because believe it or not, he genuinely cares about what your struggles are. He genuinely cares. And some of you have going through your life right now, and you can't have peace, and you don't have joy, and you don't understand why that thing has pulled you away and has consumed your life, because instead of throwing it away and moving on, you have thrown it away, and you're sitting there worrying. And you're sitting there wanting God to do something, and you're just waiting, and you cannot, and you know what this is ultimately? This is a trust issue. This is a, do I really genuinely believe and trust God that he will take care of it and do what is best for me and for his glory and for his honor? I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in Detroit, Michigan. Um, he went down to celebrate his dad's birthday. I was like 70, 80 years old. His youngest son, who I think is a senior in high school, was going to fly down the day after he left. So he got there with some of his other kids. Big celebration. His kid was going to fly out the next day. His kid was driving home from something. Saw somebody stranded on the side of the road, pulled over to help them. As he was helping them, a semi came by and hit him. Full board, about 55 plus miles an hour or whatever. He and his wife had to fly back to Detroit um, I have watched for the last week his posts every single day. Uh, he's a pastor of a large church. He's the president of a seminary and, and all that kind of stuff. But over and over again, he keeps saying, it's not what we wanted, but God's in control. And it will be okay. And uh, his son's going to have a long recovery. He actually did get home this week. Uh, this happened right before Easter. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, you know, I'm happy to post a picture of my kids sitting on a couch. Uh, he's in a lot of pain. They don't have a long recovery. A lot of damage done. But the bottom line is when this first, when this first happened and when they started finding out more and more and more and more about the accident, and when the trooper showed up and said, we don't understand how this kid's even alive. And when they were in that borderline zone between whether he will make it and whether he won't, even then, Dave's confidence was, God will give us grace and strength no matter what happens. Because you see, when they got the call, that incredible worry, that incredible care, all of the anxiety, all of the fears, all of the stuff, he made a conscious decision to do this, and let God be God. 
Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. And I want to challenge you because I think some of you are really missing out here. Because you want to park and watch and wait and focus on that even though you've supposedly given it to God. And you need to understand you're not going to have the peace. You're not going to have the joy. You're not going to have the ability to go forward when you've parked it right here watching the basket. It doesn't work like that. And Peter writes to people who are fearing a knock on the door and he says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. This is how it comes, not by sitting there watching. So I want to challenge you this week because some of you, there are some big concerns, that are things that have dropped into your life. You didn't plan it, you didn't want it, you wouldn't have signed up for it, but they're there. Cast it upon Jesus and walk away. It's in his hands. That's ultimately trust and faith. And that's what we need to do in our own lives. Peter challenges to live and to lead by serving in humility. We've got to learn to cast our cares on Christ. We've got to learn to realize he genuinely cares for the things and circumstances in our lives. And let's stop this week spending all of our time focusing on when's he going to do something and move forward knowing that whatever happens, he will walk side by side with us through the whole thing. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, each one of us has stuff. We have baggage. We have a past. We have things that have come into our lives that, Lord, really are overwhelming. And Lord, so often they pull us aside. And instead of focusing on all the things we've seen you do, we focus on all the things, Lord, that uh, aren't happening. God, Peter was able to write this because he had seen you take care of his mother-in-law. He had seen you pay taxes from the mouth of a fish. He had watched you get him out of prison. Lord, so many things he had seen you do. And he was able to write with confidence that we have to learn to cast it upon you and walk, and walk away. So God, help us to learn that. And Lord, may each of us walk in humility. Lord, may these kids understand the wisdom that they are surrounded by and listen to it. And may each of us, Lord, serve and minister to the people in our world this week. And use us in a great way. These things we ask in your name.